Welcome to episode 238 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Do you know anyone with experience working on a dairy farm? That's not a question I expect to be asked anytime soon, but after doing a quick LinkedIn search, I know the answer is yes. Yes, I do. A decade ago, that was not the case. I knew a lot of people, but generally, we all worked in the same nonprofit sector and lived in the same geographic region, Northeast United States. I was very well known in my area and even had a day named after me. No joke, September 16th, my birthday, was named Robbie Samuels Day in Boston, Massachusetts in 2011. What changed in the last 10 years? The ability to network virtually has dramatically improved. I started to stay in better touch with colleagues I met at national conferences. I actively participated in Facebook groups that attract the people I want to get to know. I sought out people with interesting lived experiences that were vastly different than my own. I deepened my relationships with people I've never met in person, yet they are among my closest confidants. And I made an effort to connect with all of these people on LinkedIn. Now, it's rare that I meet someone that I don't share mutual connections. And I'm literally excited when it does happen because I know I'm diversifying my network. In the abstract, this all sounds good, but how do I benefit from having this diverse network? A few months ago, I started to post articles about virtual events on LinkedIn written in major publications like Forbes and Harvard Business Review. I would send a connection request to the author the day before I posted, and every time we've had several mutual connections. That adds to my credibility. So the authors then check out my profile, and the very first time I tried this, I was invited to contribute a quote to their next article, which was called The History of the Webinar and Why the Webinar Should Be History. That is a Forbes article that I was quoted in because my network is diverse enough that when I reach out to a Forbes author, they have connections with me. Your challenge this week. If you want to get quoted in a major publication or write for one, but maybe you're not sure how to get started, try what I did or better yet, search LinkedIn for Forbes contributor and see how you're already connected. I did this and 119 of my contacts write for Forbes, 40 for Harvard Business Review and 41 for Cast Company. If you narrow that down by learning about what they write about and see then if you have any relevant expertise. Any one of them could make an introduction to their editor if you wanted to send in a pitch. And while you're doing your research, check out my latest Harvard Business Review article, How to Host a Virtual Happy Hour. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I'm wondering if you're feeling motivated now to create more regular content and or get more social proof and or build stronger relationships within your existing network. That's a great time to join a mastermind so you can surround yourself with peers also striving to grow their businesses. I'm in two masterminds and they've been an amazing way to get camaraderie, support, feedback, and accountability from fellow entrepreneurs. I'm running a drop-in monthly mastermind series for entrepreneurs with at least two to three years experience. Are you interested in learning more? Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and I'll send you the details. Now onto this week's interview. 
Today's guest believes everyone can use their voice to impact the world. She's found that to be true for her own career as an award-winning international professional speaker and as a publisher who helps experts become authors. She's written several books and compiled compelling stories for several additional books. These include Real Talk, What Other Experts Won't Tell You About How to Make Presentations That Sizzle, A Collective Breath, Stories of Being Black in America and Visions of Change, and her newest book, Upward, Leadership Lessons for Women on the Rise. She has served as a faculty member for the Texas A&M University System, a certified advanced facilitator and faculty trainer for the University of Phoenix, and a professional development consultant. She has presented for companies and organizations such as Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM, Vanguard Investments, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Please join me in welcoming Bridget McGowan Hawkins. And I don't have the secret recipe with their blend of spices at KFC. So sorry about that, Robbie. Thank you <laughs> for the opportunity. <laughs> hey, Bridget, thanks for joining us from your home office in Chandler, Arizona. Thrilled that you're able to, to join us. As you know, this is a show about building strong connections. The context is leadership. So how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? There are so many definitions of leadership out there, Robbie. My goodness. I am going to tell you that my definition is the three H's of leadership. And it's actually focused on what you should do if you really want to be a fantastic leader. So those three H's are going to be head, hands, and heart. Here we go. So as a fantastic leader, you always want to make sure that those around you they know exactly what is expected of them. In their heads, they know exactly what success spells. They know exactly what your mission is, what your goal is, what your vision is. They know exactly what they're selling, who they're going after. All of the, the humdrum, the basics of the business, the basic basics of the operation. So what do they have in their heads? Just the objective material in order to get the job done. Next, in their hands, what are the tools that they need? Is it technology? Is it marketing materials? Is it whatever the case may be? What's the tangible material? Books. What is it? I'd be remiss if I did not say what books do they need as a publisher? And then finally, what do they need to have in their hearts? The best leaders focus on those three H's. And when it comes to what everybody needs to have in their hearts, we're talking about what do they need to believe before they step out of the office and go out there to work? What do they need to believe before they get on Zoom with a prospect or with a current client? What do they need to have inside of them? And this means how do you build them up? How do you make them feel like, yes, I can do this? Even in the midst of a crummy situation, a prospect who just won't say yes in the midst of an economic downturn or whatever may be happening, what do you put in their hearts to go along with what's in their hands and their heads in order to feel like they're leaders themselves and they can just move without you? <laughs> It's too bad you had nothing to say on that topic. <laughs> Bridget, Sorry. that was amazing. That was amazing because I have listened to so many definitions, hundreds of definitions, in fact, of what, what leadership means. And I love this head, hands, and heart. And 
and it's also what I love about it is something that you can hold on to and really think like, am I fulfilling this for my people? Am I meeting each of these parts? Because if you're only doing one and not enough of the others, then you're not holistically approaching the situation and not being the best leader you can be. Um, and now that, did, did you develop that? Is that something you were taught by someone? And it's just so clever. I really, really, really like it. You know, I, no, I don't think I can take credit for it. I read a lot. I attend, or I used to attend a lot of conferences. Yeah. I go to a lot of virtual events now, or at least in recent times, I think a lot of us have. Yeah. At any rate, I'm sure it's something that I read somewhere and it just stuck, but it had nothing to do with leadership. It ah. has something to do with, with, with training or, yeah. or something along those lines. It's a, it's a great no, analogy. Yeah, it's I great. I wish I could take credit for it. <laughs> what I love is though, is that, you know, you're paying attention to the world around you and figuring out how to take what you're learning and listening and hearing and then apply it to the, your experience, right? And that's what we all need to be doing. Synthesize what's going on, make it, making it meaningful for those as opposed to just being like noise. So at what point did you start to realize that you had these kinds of leadership skills? When I got laid off. So. <laughs> I have a feeling it's even, I'm going to say it's even before that. Let, let's dig a little bit. I know that I know you got that storyline and we'll, we'll hear more about your story, but come on, Bridget, you did not just show up on this planet, get laid off and then suddenly have these skills. What right. were you like? Okay. All right. Here's the question. Bridget, okay. take me back. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're 12. Nope. You're seven. You're on a playground. What kind of kid are you like? Are you organizing everybody? Are you off to the side, quiet? Do the teachers like you? Are you running for student office? Are you selling stuff? What kind of kid are you? <laughs> Let me think. Seven years old. Robbie, I, my nose was in a book. I, I thought, listen, Robbie, this is, this is going to sound awful. I thought all of my peers were lame. And <laughs> so I was probably somewhere copying definitions out of a dictionary or something. Uh, yes, I was doing my own thing. I was marching to the beat of my own drummer uh, or of the, of the own drum in my head. I, I was coachable. I would listen. I uh, was quite compliant and always have been. If you tell me to do this at this time, this place, okay, great. But at the same time, I did not wait for someone else to do the thinking for me. I am a good follower. However, I do not feel like I always have to follow. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable doing either one, very comfortable doing either one. But when everybody else was playing catch or kickball or whatever, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'll play, but I'd much rather go over here and read a book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that sounds like full circle here you are publishing books. So that's, that's a pretty cool origin story to, to uncover for your, for who you are today. Well, Robbie, it's crazy. It, it, I should have been a publisher a long time ago, and I don't know why it didn't hit me until 2019. The writing was on the wall or in the books mm -hmm. all along from day one. But and did you have a sense of what you thought you would do like when, in your teen years? Like, or did it just like did it slowly evolve? Robbie, I 
was going to be on the evening news, 6 p.m. Turn your channel on, turn your television on right now. Hello, Bridget McGowan Hawkins or Bridget McGowan fill in the blank, whomever I'm married to, coming to you live from whatever city and so on and so forth. I was going to be a newscaster. I was going to be an anchor right there in your television every day, giving you what's happening around the city. That was it as a kid. I... I, hmm, I didn't well, know for certain that that was what I was going to do, but that was just what, what was very appealing to me. What, what was appealing? What was the appeal to that? The person was always poised. The person was always put together. There was this level of perfection that drew me in to those anchors on the news every evening. And I loved words. I loved how they were so crisp and so articulate and so smooth with everything they said. They were just these put together packages. I love them. Kind of like how books are these put together packages of words. These anchors were these personified books, I guess, for me. And did you head in that direction at all? Or did you immediately take a detour off that path? Yes and no. So when I did go off to college, I majored in broadcast communication, but I (laughs) realized that in order to be really fantastic and really make it to the big leagues, it was going to take a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of work. And not that I'm afraid of work. It just looked impossible. And I looked at all of the anchors on the major networks in my area and I grew up with them and as I was getting older and older they were getting older and older and they were not going anywhere and so I was like I'm never gonna be able to be an anchor where's room for me I didn't see room for me in it but I was too far along in college to you know change my major to electrical engineering or something so I stayed the course and finished with the communications degree What's so great is that now there are so many, so many more modes of communication than there was when you and I were growing up. And you get to now have that role in a different way, right? Like even being on shows like this, being having your own show, like there's just so many other ways to now feature and be featured. Um, in some ways, you've kind of evolved back. What, what was the work that you were doing as you hit that bump in the road in your career? Because I know that you had this huge, like unplanned... <laughs> moment. Was that meaningful work for you? It was. It was. And funny enough, I was using that communication degree, to be quite honest. I was a faculty development consultant and professional development consultant with an educational technology company. And that just meant I was one of probably 10, 11, 12 on a team. We each had our own territory. We traveled the country, going to colleges and universities, doing workshops on how to be the best professor you can be in the 21st century. That's that's what it boils down to. I would tell people, I teach professors how to teach. That's what it was. And as you're doing these workshops, I'm using that communication degree to an extent. How do I engage an audience? When do you slow down with your message? When do you speed up? When do you show excitement? When do you stop to check for understanding and so on? How do you make it a fantastic experience for all of those audience members? And 
It was a fantastic uh, experience, uh, super awesome, super smart people with whom I worked. But hey, things things just change, things evolve. And next thing we know, we're all laid off. And yeah, and, and that's when I said, I love this presenting thing. I love these workshops. I love these webinars that I'm doing. I think I am going to go all in with this professional speaking thing, right? Because you see these motivational speakers all around and they're rock stars. I said, I I can do this. And it was then that I realized maybe I am some kind of a leader because I couldn't do it alone. I needed an assistant. I needed a photographer. I needed a videographer. I needed somebody to do social media and so on and so forth. I'm not a Jill of all trades. And the best leaders realize that they are not a Jill or a Jack of all trades. You realize the smartest leaders, the best leaders are the ones who know they should have even smarter people around them. (laughs) And so it was then as I was working to assemble this team and figure out how do I get everything done? How do I pull everything together? When I realized, hmm, you might know a little something about leadership. Just a little. All right. So did you have uh, entrepreneurs in your life at that point? No, I didn't. The only business owner that I personally knew I can remember was a cousin. It was my adoptive father's first cousin. She and her husband owned a funeral home. And that was it. I didn't have any close interactions with them to see what it was like to run a business. And uh, I don't know that I wanted to hang out at their business that much anyway. But no. Um, And and this is about to get really personal, Robbie. Mm -hmm. So I, I found out very late in life that I am adopted. I thought that I was, but I got confirmation well into adulthood. And when I found out about my biological family, well, guess who owned her own business? My biological mother. She had been her own, yes, she had been her own boss for decades. But I still wasn't a business owner at that point. I was still a quote unquote regular employee, if you will. And I won't say, and, and oh, and there was an uncle. Uh, an uncle, a great uncle, a biological great uncle who passed away maybe in 2017, 18, I think. And there was this big write-up about him, how he was this fabulous businessman. So yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. That's great. Like, I mean, when, when life kind of throws you these curveballs, and then somehow they all make, make the rearview mirror of your life make more sense. Right. And in some ways. So, um, when you, it sounds like when you first got started, though, um, you clearly had a skill set, right? Like you developed the skill set of speaking, presenting, you, you know, you were teaching it and you knew there was a need because clearly there was a market <laughs> for it in this one way and probably in other ways. And it sounds like you've started to focus on building a team. Did you have proof of concept in any other way? Did you have clients before you built a team or did you just say, like, I don't want to be by myself in this? Like, ooh, right. I 
did have clients before I started building the team. I did. I did not have as many clients as I would like to have. But for me, it wasn't so much about proof of concept on my end as much as it was, as I said earlier, proof of concept from others. I said to myself, there are so many other people out there. Pick a motivational speaker, you know, pick one, anyone. They started from somewhere. And if they can do it, then I can do it. So for me, it was the fact that it had been done before. Now, how? I don't know. (laughs) I'll figure it out. So there you have it. I had some clients, not a ton, but I knew if I was going to get more, I had to up level and I knew that I could not do it alone. Did you have speakers in your network? Like, did you, know, did you start to realize, oh, wait, I do know some professional speakers. I didn't, I hadn't really thought of that. Or did you just not have any connections in that industry? I mean, of course, my colleagues with whom I worked at the ed tech company, but they weren't professional speakers. And the difference between a professional speaker and a public speaker is a professional speaker gets paid to get up there on that microphone. So I knew speakers, but in terms of professional speakers in my network that I personally knew, I had none. I was just stepping on out there. What, what year is this that we're, you're taking us back to? So I've been a professional speaker in terms of being paid to speak since 2001. However, really doing it on my own. Oh, the year I got laid off. That's easy. That was 2016 when I said, okay, Bridget, wow. you, oh, and let me go back and say, part of the proof of concept was when I was doing all of those workshops and webinars and so on for that ed tech company, I had people who were time and time again, very happy with my performances. I would have people asking for me in particular to do workshops and so on. So that was kind of my proof of concept too, where I said, okay, I may be on to something here. It's something that I enjoy to do, but also something that people enjoy watching me do. And also something that I can get paid to do legally. <laughs> All yeah, of that I mean, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, no, it's just sort of a, always an interesting moment when I talk to people who become professional speakers. At what point do you realize that being a professional speaker is even a thing? Because ev- I, I've even, I even had a guest who talked about like growing up listening to like Les Brown and, and all the other greats, but he never actually connected in his head that what they were doing was something that he could do because what they were doing was just like clearly something else, some other, like it just didn't seem like relatable. It was amazing, but it wasn't what he was going to do. And it was 20 years later that he was like, oh, right. You know, like (laughs) that's, that's it. What it is about the speaking world, Robbie, that confuses people. For instance, if we see a plumber, we know what a plumber does. And we know that that is a business <laughs> where you can make a living. I, you know, Just go down the line. But it's something about speaking that it, it evades people as to how is this a viable thing where I can feed my family. And that's why I find it remarkable that you made this transition, you know, cause it, cause you didn't have, I mean, you, like you said, you had the skills as a public speaker to use your phrase and you, you knew that there was a need for people to learn that skill. And you knew that there was these, you know, huge name motivational speakers in the world that we can't like not culturally know about. And so it, for you, you were able to connect those dots 
did you join like uh, Toastmasters or NSA or anything like that? That's a fantastic question. Yes and no. So I didn't join NSA right off the bat. I did join, but then when COVID hit and all these strange things started happening with speaking engagements drying up and so on, I, I, I did not take full advantage of my NSA membership. I'll put it that way. Just all these weird circumstances and you're just trying to pivot and figure things out, right? So I did join NSA. Toastmasters, no. I worked with a local chamber of commerce that showed interest in having a Toastmasters group or, or what's it called? Not group, club. And, and so they knew that I was a professional speaker and it just seemed to make sense that Bridget should be the one who would lead the charge with this. So I said, okay, I'll figure out what needs to be done in order for you to do this. And then you're on your, you're on your own with that. So not fully, this was the thing, Robbie. I just said, you know, in looking at whether it's Lisa Nichols or Les Brown or Jack Cam. I said, these people spend all of their time and energy on a stage. It has to pay. What else are they? They're not moonlighting at McDonald's. So it has to pay. That must be how they are making their living. And I know I can figure this out. There's nothing new under the sun. You know what? Robbie, I think a lot of people underestimate themselves and they feel like, oh, I've got to go to the experts and I've got to sign up for this and get that and get this. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing with wrong with getting help and finding resources, but don't get so overwhelmed thinking that you have to have all of the pieces in place and that you need to be a part of this organization and buy this book and get in this program and sign up for that boot camp and no, just look and, and realize that every person on this planet puts his or her pants on one leg at a time. And you are just as smart, just as capable, just as much of a genius as the next person. Just because someone has some big name in life does not mean your name is not just as valuable and doesn't deserve to be in lights also. And you will figure it out. I, I can't. I can't to life me figure out why you think you'd make a good motivational speaker. <laughs> so, um, I, this is really interesting to me. I actually left my career at the end of 2014 and I had been paid to speak for five years on a side prior to that. But that was the moment that I was like, I want to now create this as a business. And I decided I had to change my audience and I had a lot of work to do. But I had been part of an association in my prior life as a fundraising professional. So I immediately signed up for the National Speakers Association, which for those listening, wondering why we're talking about NSA, I'm talking about the, the people who talk, not the ones who listen. That's the clarity there. So, um, <laughs> and I joined National and then I didn't meet anyone local until that summer of 2015 at the conference. And I got in really involved with my local chapter, but I made a commitment. This is sort of going to sound so strange to you. I committed to going to 10 years in a row to the conference before I decided whether it was worth it and whether it was for me. Because I thought the way you get more out of an experience like that is by investing in the experience of that. And, you know, I took on leadership roles and it just, you just kind of get to know people and it just sort of evolves from there. 
But I don't know. I just, I wanted to shortcut any angst. And it wasn't, I learned things from them directly, but I also think the people I met, like that really changed things for me. So how did you, so if you, if it wasn't through NSA, how did you find your people? Because the relationships are what solve business and life challenges, right? Not money, not boot camps, not all that other stuff, but like there are people who will give you the right information when you need it and the right support when you need it and keep you going. How do you find your people? You are spot on, Robbie, when you talk about joining NSA or whatever organization it is. And it's not so much about what you learned from the organization. It is. I mean, that's part of the reason you're joining. However, I have been a member of you know, a chamber of commerce, leads mm-hmm. groups, uh, you name it, what have you. And it's about the relationships and getting to know people and understanding what is at the center of their worlds and just, just really getting to know people and finding out what are their needs and how can you help them. Uh, that, that is what I'm going to say is how I grow my network or how I find those people that make sense for me to spend time with. And let's be clear, not only am I a professional speaker, but I'm also a publisher. So, and I've appeared in front of so many different audiences. So for me, I have this built-in following where people, after they hear me speak, they're either buying one of my books or they're signing up for my email list or we're following each other on social media and just really getting to know each other. Let me tell you this really crazy story since this is about networking and so on. There's this lady sitting at the pool at a hotel in Los Angeles uh, near the airport. And I don't know who starts talking to whom first, probably me with my big mouth, but I don't remember. I'm there with my husband and our son on vacation. It's July of 2018, I think. I don't know how she and I start talking, but we start talking. And that very day that I met her was the very day she had been let go from her job. She had been laid off. And I said, listen, and as I'm talking to her, she's she's interesting. She sounds smart. She sounds just fantastic. And I told her, I know exactly how you feel because I was just where you are two and a half years ago. It was April of 2016 when I got laid off. I know that feeling in the pit of your stomach. I know your head is just pounding. I know you are walking. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. You don't know where you're going. I told her, I know exactly how you feel right now, but you are going to be okay. I promise you that. We talked for only about 10 minutes or so, Robbie, because she was sitting waiting for her friend who hopped on a plane right away and said, I'm coming to be with you. She told him the news. He says, I'm coming to support you. So we were only talking for a little while when he showed up. And I said, listen, let's connect on LinkedIn or something. Let's stay in touch, but I promise you, you'll be okay. So we stay in touch with each other, maybe popping into each other's inbox uh, once or twice a year, maybe. And... About a year and a half after that meeting, she said, Bridget, you were right. I I found this fantastic new job. As a matter of fact, I'm at an airport on my way to Scotland and I thought about you and I just had to drop you a message, but it gets better, Robbie. (laughs) In January of 2021, she reaches out randomly. Hey, Bridget, I have written a manuscript and I want your company to publish it. What's it going to cost? Let's do this. 
And in within a week or so, maybe two contracts signed and we're working on publishing her book. But what she needed right then and there, Robbie, what I knew what she needed. I gave her what she needed, which was the confidence, which was the feeling that I can do this. This too shall pass. I can figure this out. This has happened to other people. I'll be okay. That's what she needed at that poolside. She's never seen me present unless she went and watched some videos or what have you. We've never seen each other since then. It was just that 10 minute conversation where, and, and I wasn't trying to get anything out of her. It was just, you know, she's down and out and I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out at the pool, but it's always about pouring into others as much as you can. You never know what's going to come back. Well, I also, I think that you illustrated that you didn't just have this 10 minute conversation, you exchange contact information and you found reasons to kind of be in each other's inboxes, as you put it, at some level of frequency um, over the next couple of years. So, so that she remembered you because, you know, it's not who you know or what you know, it, it's really who knows what you know and will they remember it? There you have it. Oftentimes people will get upset with you if you don't remember them. I'm sure it happens to you all the time. Hey, Robbie, you don't remember me? No, I don't remember you. And then they'll get upset. I'm sure you don't do that. But they'll get upset because you don't remember them. But guess what? Don't get upset at the person who does not remember you. Get upset at yourself because you did not make yourself memorable. You did not give that person a reason to keep you in the back of his or her mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk actually about networking since we've been kind of skirting around this topic. You know, you have your like innermost circle and then sort of I would think like a second and third layers out, third, second, third tiers out. I think of that second layer, maybe like people you see once a year at a conference or someone you worked with five years ago, but you'd have no reason to work with right now. The kind of people I'm talking about are people that you genuinely enjoy. You enjoy each other. You just don't have a reason to see each other all the time right now. How do you nurture and sustain this sort of larger uh, network of people? Do you have any habits, philosophies, practices that help you actually make that happen? Ever so often, just simply reaching out saying, you were on my mind. What do you have new going on? How can I help you? Just randomly reaching out on, I'm not going to say a regular basis, but at just intervals when it just hits you, maybe even marking it on your calendar saying, okay, every you know quarter, I am going to reach out to those folks that are circles of my network to just see what's happening with them and how can I support them. Robbie, you and I were talking a little bit before we started the recording and you gave me some really great information. And I felt, I felt guilty. I said, oh, I'm, I'm taking and taking. I, have, I haven't even given you anything. My goodness. That's what networking is about. Don't go into it thinking, what can I get? What can I take? But think about what can I give? How can I do something to help get this person closer to his or her goal? And it it, uh, it just it makes such a difference. It's I think it's easier. Networking is easier when you go into a conversation not thinking about what you can take away from it, but what you can pour into that person, how you can lift that person, how can you take that person to another level? That that moment that you and I had before we hit record happens to me a lot because people will start a conversation asking about one little tiny thing. And I'll just pour into the conversation everything I possibly know, 
links, resources, introductions, how-tos, best practices, time and attention. And then it's just like, they are so not expecting all of that. But I'm like, oh, like, but I don't know. I mean, that's what I know. And I, I want you to know it. People can be so stingy with information, Robbie, and what you just talked about in terms of you just pour into them, you give them everything that you know. I want listeners to start doing that. Do not feel like you have to hold tight to information. Oh, no, this is my intellectual property. You know, come on. It's a 10 minute conversation. If they're going to get everything you know out of you in 10 minutes. okay, you complete that sentence on your own. I'm just saying, give all that you can and people are going to want to come back for more. They're going to want to support you, but don't, 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 Oh, be free with information. Be free with, uh, anyway, you get the point. I call this actually the philosophy of abundance. And I've been talking about it for like 15 years that, um, if I give away time or I give away money, then I, that depletes me. I have less time and less money. But if I give away knowledge, quite the opposite. When I give away knowledge, it like helps everyone around me. It, it, like, it makes me and my community stronger and I don't lose anything. I gain. So I, that's why I have actually, just to preserve my time, <laughs> I have recorded free trainings, free webinars, free masterclasses and made them available because I'm like, if everyone's going to keep asking this question, let's just do it. And then that recording is now available to anyone who wants it. In fact, those who are listening, I haven't talked about this in a long time, but robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass bring you to a whole library of masterclasses that I've created over the years. And that, that way I don't actually have to get on a call and talk to you about, should I host a podcast, Robbie? I'm like, watch this masterclass that's actually called, should I host a podcast? You know, <laughs> book launch strategies. I'm like, here's the entire, here's how I did. I had 150 book reviews in one week on Amazon. Yes. So I love talking to a publisher and saying that because I, I mean, I worked really hard on the presentation of my Amazon and my, my launch team, but I don't, I mean, I don't want to be in the business of doing that all the time, but I also want that information to go away. I worked hard, I learned it, and now I want to pass it along in a way. So I, I'm totally with you on that. I think that's what changes things. But do you have any actual systems or processes that help make sure, do you have a list of people that you keep track of or like a stack of index cards or CRM or like anything that, or more like as people come in your head, you act on it? As they come into my head, I act on it. If I read something that makes me think of someone, I'm shooting that person a text or a message. If I attend an event in a city where I know uh, I met someone, I'm reaching out to that person. It's just, it's just as it happens. I wish I did have some fabulous system to share, but I don't. It's just as it comes to mind. Or even if I just have this random thought of, Richard, you, you just really need to reach out to folks. Well, I just sit down and I, I make it a point to do it. I need to come up with some fabulous system. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this show has given away a few, but I will tell you that um, what you just said though, which to you sounds really easy and not like it's not enough. I know that a lot of people hesitate and don't actually reach out. That they get someone's idea, an idea of someone in their head. We look so confused by this idea that no one will reach out. But they they think of someone. I actually work with a client who ended a conversation before she got a chance to share a book title that she thought would be helpful. 
She dutifully followed up because I had told her to follow up. And I said, did you mention the book title? No. <laughs> what, 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 why, you know? So I just think that it, while it doesn't seem remarkable to you and I, if you think of somebody, go make as personal a contact as you can, whatever that looks like, Facebook PM, tweet them, whatever you gotta do, but like make sure that they know it's to, just to them that you're reaching out to them. Um, but another one that I just I got from one of my recent interviews was um, I now have a roam the hallway on my calendar. Um, this is uh, a time on my calendar that if I were in an office, I would take to walk around and chat with people. And so I use that time on my calendar to, to take a stroll around my network and see what people are up to and, and drop comments and see who posted something, who's published articles. And I actually curate, I'll take a bunch of articles that have recently come out by my friends who are constantly publishing on major publications. <laughs> They're very talented people. And I'll queue them up to get, uh, to be posted in my own social media over the next couple of weeks. So that I, every now and again, I just kind of go around, do a little, little roam the hallway. I like that a lot. Since I live by my calendar, I will say I think it's a great idea to just plug into your calendar. Just sit down and do it at the beginning of the year or whenever. Plug in once a quarter or whatever is comfortable and feasible for you that you will reach out to X number of people in your network. You can do it in alphabetical order. You can do it randomly, whatever the case may be, and just say, I wanted to pop in and check on you. And I have done that. I, I remember anyway, just I say put it on the calendar. You put everything else on the calendar, put that on the calendar. It's just as important. Yeah, I think that um, it's I'm agnostic these days about what people do as long as they do it, like what systems they use. Because I had a great guest come on talking about a stack of index cards. And I'd always joke that if you want to use index cards, use index cards. And then it turned out he had this incredible system. I mean, it's so simple, but he it's effective for him. And he's got the stack of index cards in his desk and he shuffles through them. And that's how he makes sure to stay in touch with like those people that like he meets and doesn't want to lose touch with. And he, it's just like, yeah, some people overcomplicate this. So don't feel, Bridget, like, or anyone listening, like you got to have a CRM to make this happen. It's sometimes way too complicated uh, and makes it harder in some ways. Well, I was going to say, well, think about those people that just made an impact on you or just were memorable in your life, whether it was a former boss, whether it was a former coworker, colleague, uh, college classmate, whatever it is. And even if it's been years or decades, find that person, just find them. And uh, <laughs> this makes me think about, oh my goodness, I randomly had a thought about my high school band teacher. I have not thought about Mr. Fife since I don't know when, and I don't know where my trumpet is, okay? But I just decided to write him. I saw that he was on Facebook and I sent him a message that, and it was a really nice note where I said, I know I was an awful awful trumpet player, pretty good baritone player, but not so great of a trumpet player. I said, but you know what? You never let on, Mr. Five. And I love that about you. You really built my confidence. And Robbie, I've been out of high school for a minute. I'm not going to say how long, okay? I've been out of high school for a minute, but I never told him that. And I just sent him a quick note on Facebook and it took me two seconds to compose it. So if somebody crosses your mind who just did something for you. And I'm sure he didn't, he never knew that. Reach out to them and just let them know. What a gift. 
what a gift to give somebody, particularly someone like that in a serving role who doesn't probably get thanked in the moment by, you know, unthankful kids. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> so um, we're, we're about to wrap up here. It's one of my favorite questions. And that is, um, I, I am sure we're going to find reasons to cross paths. You and I probably have lots and lots of people in common. So uh, let's say though, it's a year from now and I've asked you how the year has been. And you tell me it has just been so amazing. And you start sharing all of your successes. What am I congratulating you for? What is it that you're most looking forward to in the year ahead? Ooh, one thing in particular I am very excited about is a new book that's coming out on International Women's Day 2021. It's entitled Upward. Oh, as a matter of fact, you brought it up in the introduction. What I like so much about this book, Robbie, is it, it's not just one author's voice. I get so excited about my compilations, far more excited about them than I get excited about my own books that I pen. But with this book, more than 20 women from all over the United States, all different ages, all different backgrounds, all different industries, but all of them are leaders. They come together and they each write a chapter on what was their biggest struggle and biggest challenge with navigating this world of leadership and what is their best advice that they would give someone if they had to go back 10, 15, 20 years, what is their best advice they would give themselves that they are now giving other young ladies? And oh my goodness, I, I'm so excited about that book and uh, just having conversations with others about that book. Very excited about that. That's number one. That's number one. What else are you going to congratulate me on? Oh, just definitely publishing more authors. I'm over the moon about that. I just, oh, there's so much good work coming out. But that's it. What would, hey, I'm turning the tables now. What would I congratulate you on, Robbie? Well, uh, so I uh, reinvented myself last year in 2020 as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. And I think a year from now, I will have really like found the right mix of team members to help me sustain this work where I get the kind of balance and integration with my family life that I really was lacking last year and I've just started to, to have a, as a reality. So I think I will be celebrating more dates with my wife, more, more spontaneous moments with my kids and a thriving business that a lot of people benefit from. So, and, and I think for both of us, we're gonna have fun celebrating those things. It's gonna happen. Because um, we're can-do kind of people. And I love that you just threw that back at me because it doesn't happen very often on this show. <laughs> but I kind of sensed that it would happen. Um, <laughs> I wasn't surprised. <laughs> so, um, so tell me, Bridget, how can people find you and follow your work? Sure. Visit connectwithb.com. C-O-N-N-E-C-T with B, B as in Bridget, dot com. And all of the social media, all of the links, all of the information is there. Connectwithb.com. Wow, what a fantastic idea to have all that in one place. We're also going to have your LinkedIn and your Twitter and your bmctalkspress.com all on our show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for this conversation. Yes. Well, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but you were talking about that connectwithb.com and how everything's in one place. And that's fantastic. There's a networking tip for everyone. 
get a nice, simple URL. It's super cheap to buy a URL. And instead of telling people, well, here's my LinkedIn and here's my link tree. And here's when you get your own URL, you can put links to your articles. So all of my articles on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Thrive Global are there. The link to my podcast is there. All of my books are there. Information on my publishing company is there. All of my social media links are there. So you just go to connectwithb.com. So a fantastic networking tip I have for you is to go buy that URL, connect with Robbie, connect with what, oh, don't y'all go buy connect with Robbie and then try to sell it to him for some crazy price. Do not do that to my friend, but do that. And then it just makes it easy for people to find you everywhere. That's my tip. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bridget. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 238. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. Also, if you're on Clubhouse, find me at Robbie Samuels and click on the bell in my profile so you're notified when I'm speaking in a room. If you enjoyed this episode with Bridget, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for for yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.